Hey, good morning. I hope everyone's having a beautiful day. The sun is attempting to peek out between <laughs> the clouds here, but I don't know how much luck it's going to have. It's did you get windy? And I was going to say, did you get frost the other day, Al? I know Duluth got a record uh, over an inch of, of snow, and, and we just got a little cold, nipping frost, I believe. How about down in Heartland? You know, I, I don't know. I was in Detroit Lake oh, then, okay. so it, it was it was cool then. Uh, it, it's uh, uh, we I led a bus trip on Saturday, uh, folks going around birding, and it it just poured and it was cold and it mm. was rainy and we just had the best time ever looking oh, at birds. So it just it sometimes the bad weather makes it even more fun because then there's a there's a bit of an adventure added to it. it I should say thank you to everybody at Good Earth Village, uh, College of Saint Benedict. Uh, the Festival of Birds held in Detroit Lakes, the good folks at Blue Stem Prairie Scientific and Natural Area, and also the good folks at Buffalo River State Park for allowing me to be parts of their their days. So, hey Al, when uh, you have those oh, yeah. co- when you yeah. have those cold days to watch birds, are the birds more hidden? So are they harder to to see? Because it seems to me maybe it's because I'm not out when it's cold and icky like that. But do the birds seem to want to be in shelter too? Is it harder to count? It is, and for some of the we were looking for warblers, and when it's cold, and nasty, and windy like that, uh, the warblers will hunker down because there's not many flying insects. The good part is that if they are out feeding on the insects, the insects are usually on the ground or close to the ground. So if the birds do come out and feed, they're pretty close, easier for us to see. The other uh, bad part about being out in that kind of weather is that the birds get really quiet because mm. they're intent on just finding something to eat, so they don't really want to expand use up a lot of energy uh singing and doing other things so it does make it a little bit harder uh, but, oh we had a great time we had folks from oh, i don't know florida tennessee california folks from all over creation that were out there helping us look for birds and some of them were um, uh, pretty accomplished birders so it uh, we saw a lot of things but not as many as we would uh, had the weather probably been a little bit nicer. I know I watched um, warblers, and there are collective nouns for warblers. You can call them a bouquet, a confusion, a fall, and a wrench. Wow. I'm not sure if wrench is a best name because it's <laughs> a wrench, like a monkey wrench. The most abundant warbler I saw was the yellow-rumped warbler, and that's nicknamed the butterbutt for obvious reasons. It winters farther north than most warblers because it can digest the wax in berry coatings. So it can get by by eating berries. But here now it's gleaning insects from vegetation and from the ground when the weather was nasty like Saturday and it uh, in Sunday. It also will catch flying insects, so it fly catches. And a lot of folks, I'm sure, have been seeing them at their suet feeders, uh, some that put out peanut butter. They will eat peanut butter, but what doesn't? Everything likes peanut butter. And I watched one one day snatching insects from spider webs. And I was watching, hoping it just didn't get caught in there, but it seemed to know what it was doing and was just picking them off. 
Uh, Denny Tustison of Albert Lee told me that the single look out the window of his house showed a rose-breasted ghost beaks, Baltimore Orioles, uh, indigo buntings, a brown-headed cowbird, and a scarlet tanager. And what did Denny do? He immediately canceled his tea time on the golf course <laughs> and sat by the window and watched birds, which is the, the proper way to live. We all know that. So yeah. it's, it's fun because Denny says, you know, he, sometimes he doesn't, feels he doesn't know all that much about birds, but he sure enjoys looking at them. And uh, it, we should know the common birds the best of all. So we should all learn the common birds in our yard. It's a, it's a project. It'll give us something to do in those five minutes that we have to spare each day. But knowing the common birds makes it easier to recognize uncommon birds. If they don't match the looks or sounds or behavior of a common bird, they might be something else. And Neil Bad of Heartland, who, oh, he's related to me. He denies it every day, <laughs> but he has. He found a long-eared owl that way. And he said it didn't quite look like a great horned owl, and that's a pretty cool bird to see. I watched a number of grackles in my yard this morning. Common grackles sometimes nest in loose colonies, showing limited territoriality except in the immediate area of a nest. And Ogden Nash, who wrote so many um, cute things, oh, I should come up with a better word than cute, <laughs> uh, entertaining things. And he wrote this about the grackle. And he said, the grackle's voice is less than mellow. His heart is black. His eye is yellow. He bullies more attractive birds with hoodlum deeds and vulgar words. And should the human interfere, attacks a human in the rear. I cannot help but deem the grackle an ornithological debacle. Yeah, I, you know, and I like grackles. I've never been attacked in the rear by one. Maybe that's why. I was uh, working in St. Cloud the other day, and I came out of uh, my hotel and it, I walked to a Barnes & Noble store, the one that wasn't very far away. And I go into bookstores because I'm unable not to. And I bought a book written by a late friend, Bill Thompson III. It just seemed like the, the right thing to do. And when I came out, I saw a mallard nesting in one of those concrete planters just outside this busy bookshop and just in front of a parking stall with a big old car in it. Uh, birders are noticers. We notice things. And there was sparse vegetation in the planter, but the hen did an effective job of hiding. It wasn't perfect camouflage, or I wouldn't have seen her, of course, but it was good. And the disturbing thing was that there were many cigarette butts in the planter with her. I don't think the duck had been smoking them, but uh, it's just that's just me. Uh, Tim Pula said on Wednesday, last Wednesday, he went to the Watanwan WPA. Lots of warblers. He saw black-throated green, bay-breasted, magnolia, black pole, Wilson's yellow, common yellow throat, red start, yellow rump, Tennessee, and then he saw those were all warblers, and a great-crested flycatcher at Daly Park. He had a golden wing warbler, a scarlet tanager, red-breasted nuthatch, lots of Swainson thrushes, and a lone jungle that looked healthy. And last evening, he had a pine siskin in his front yard. Uh, Don and Dwayne Swenson of Wasika have wood ducks in two of the wood duck boxes they put up, and screech owls 
are nesting in another. Randy Chirpig sent me, uh, he's from Fairmont, a photo of two dead ruby crown kinglets, and uh, we have no idea what happened to them. Bob Bystrom said, a Harris's sparrow visited our ground feeder today. They are scarce in my yard. We see them at the, usually a single bird at a time, about once every five or six years. Uh, Wayne Fetter of Blue Earth found a white-winged dove on May 17th. It's a continuing bird. It's a large dove with obvious white wing patches, and it sounds like a sick or broken collared dove. And it's on 6th and Linton area in Blue Earth. Tim Scott uh, sent me a photo of a Tennessee warbler and said he did a bird walk around Indian Lake with Merrill Frydendahl, and oh gosh, that would have been a fun one to have been on with a couple of wonderful folks like that. Uh, Linda Bourne had a Tennessee warbler at her jelly feeder in Wasika. George Lair uh, found an American avocet in Watlin County. Brian Smith of Sleepy Eye, Brian's always finding wonderful things. In Redwood County, he found a Henslow Sparrow, and in Cottonwood County, he saw a summer tanager. A summer tanager, male, is kind of a, a reddish bird, but it doesn't have the the bright red that a scarlet tanager has, and it doesn't have the black wings like a scarlet tanager. Herb Dingman said he found Henslow sparrows in both Lesseur and Rice County. Aaron Peach found a hooded warbler in Blue Earth County. Uh, Gerald Hoekstra saw a western tanager in Rice County. So lots of uh, lots of really uh, great birds to see that uh, would be unexpected in most cases. John Nelson of Buford said he has 20 Baltimore and a pair of orchard orioles along with four gray catbirds are competing for, boy, there should be a drum roll here. John has 10 grape jelly stations. Oh, my gosh. Said it. Yeah, so some uh, he's make you know buy grape jelly stock, folks. I think uh, if we can depend on John to do that, he's John said I just put out the third two pound jar of jelly, which may not last until dark. This is going to be a a hard night for our tropical birds. Uh, we've seen female Orioles carrying nesting materials. How how long Phil do the Orioles Al? How long do the Orioles stay around? A woman from my church was telling me that she's she goes to the dollar store to buy the jars of jelly because they're of course a lot cheaper and they go through them so fast. But do Orioles stick around for any length of time, or will they go somewhere else? No, they uh, you know not all of them because our yards are filled with them. But some will nest here; others will move to different around the area probably because they do nest here. Uh, some head up north to nest, but they are uh, summer long, spring and summer long, and uh, they're just really good company. And she is, uh, I buy the cheapest grape jelly I can find, too, and I put out those little customer cards, and I have not had a single <laughs> Oreo complain about the quality of that uh, cheaper jelly. And uh, so they're just happy to have something. Would they and, uh, Would they I'm also just, eat other things like honey or, or maple syrup or things, or is it just the jelly? Because I, I assume it's the sweetness that they like. It is, and they would probably eat any kind of jelly. So if you can find some jelly cheaper, or your, your Aunt Dora has given you that homemade jelly, and you've tried it, and you just say, oh, gosh. 
you know, but when she comes over, she wants her jar back. <laughs> that's the way aunts are. So you say, I got to get rid of this jelly. I'll, I'll take a spoonful. Uh, so I've done that. Now I'm going to feed the rest of the Orioles. And when she comes up, I'm going to say, oh, man, you know, I took one spoonful and then it just disappeared. So that'll make her happy. And it won't be a, a real lie and she'll get her jar back. So that's, but they, uh, I know when I go down to the lower Rio Grande Valley, there's different kinds of Orioles that they have there, but the Baltimore Orioles, some do stay there and the rest, a lot of them pass through. And they put out marshmallows to feed the Orioles too. And also down there, they'll put out grapefruit. And it's just because their grapefruit is so sweet down there compared to uh, a lot of the grapefruit that we get that has to be picked early and trucked, and it's just not as sweet. And uh, being a wuss here, I have to add a little bit of sugar on the grapefruit I eat here. <laughs> Otherwise, I just can't get it down. And I know I shouldn't do that, and I'm trying not to, but, but boy, when I'm down in Texas, I just <laughs> grab it and take out my knife and slice it up and eat it that way without even thinking about sugar. Uh, Phil Fraser said he had a red-headed woodpecker at his suet feeder. Jerry Victora of Ellendale has orchard and Baltimore Orioles and indigo buntings, and he showed me a video he took of walking in his yard, and there's these three big turkey toms. And they're all puffed up, got their wings fanned, and he's telling them they should get out of there. And he's telling them it's turkey hunting season, they should leave his yard. And then he gobbles at them, and of course that gets them all worked up, and they all gobble back at him. Uh, Ted Myers of Albert Lee said he came home from fishing. Three days he was gone, and a wood duck drake was in the fireplace of his house. He said he figured it had been in the chimney, and he didn't know if it was him coming home and slamming the door, turning on the lights. All of a sudden, it fell down the chimney and right into his uh, fireplace. So Ted was able to get a a blanket of some kind, cover the wood duck up, and he stepped outside on the deck. And he said the duck just took off like it was shot out of a can. And just he says a beautiful wood duck drake and looked to be in in good shape. Uh, Duke Tupwa of Heartland, who happens to be my neighbor, stopped over yesterday because he burns wood, and we have more wood in our yard. We got a bunch of trees uh, that had to be cut down and sawed up, so we got them pretty much sawed up. And Duke's been hauling them back so he can burn them in his stove next next winter or the winter after, probably let them dry for a year there. But uh, Duke says he's never seen so many indigo buntings. He said, last year, I don't think I even saw one in my yard, and now there's a bunch. Uh, Jeannie Mortensen, Jeannie is from Faribault. She said, one day I was in the kitchen at the sink, and we had a feeder that had glass panels that slanted down. Anyway, I thought I saw something in the feeder inside, so I ran down in the yard, and here was a male indigo bunting. It was really hot, and he'd worked himself up to being stuck in that feeder. I reached in and carefully as I could and caught him. Then I held him for some time. Oh, that blue color is just the greatest. So I wonder how many people can say they've actually held one. It was heaven. I I understand, Jeannie, I'm one of those people that have actually held one. And yeah, they are. I've held them for banding. 
Uh, Gordy Lukow of Fairmont uh, sent me a photo of a scarlet tanager, and he also sent a photo of a, uh, of a hawk in the yard. And I'm going to, I didn't look at it very carefully yet, Gordy, but I sure will, and I will get back to you. But that scarlet tanager, I, I saw a scarlet tanager on, uh, well, I was home for a few minutes, and then we had to go to some uh, graduation parties. We, oh, we didn't have to. We got to go <laughs> to some graduation parties. And there was a scarlet tanager right there when we're leaving. And I said, you, you know, you stay here. And when we get home, you still be here. And I, I didn't see him on, uh, when we got home. Didn't see him at all yesterday. So if, uh, if any of you folks listening have uh, a lot of pull, could you see that somebody will send me another uh, scarlet tanager and have it land? It doesn't have to land right on my grape jelly feeder, but right close to it, so I can just look outside and enjoy its beauty for a few minutes. That's hey. my that's my goal for the day. You know, we all ought to have a goal every day. Hey, Al. And mine is. Oh, go see- ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say I wanted to share something before you tell your goal. I wanted to share something from our friend John in New Ulm before we get done with the show. He wanted to let us know his dad has a new visitor who is a fox, and his dad's somewhere by Andover, and he got a photo. And he saw a hummingbird yesterday by his place, and then he also said he's got a question. What is it? Two or more small olive to yellow colored birds in his yard this year that he has not seen here before. They have the size and shape of a small chickadee, except they are olive yellow in color. What could they be? Um, yeah, it'd be a warbler more than likely. Oh. So there's, you know, goldfinch is the other one. The females are olive. But if he's not seen them before, they're probably a warbler. And it could be several kinds. In my yard here yesterday, I saw a lot of yellow rumps, of course, but that's probably not the one he's looking at. But there are Nashville warblers that are pretty yellow underneath and fairly common. Uh, that might be the one. But there's a lot of different ones that are out there. Uh, the American Red Star females, uh, they have yellow spots on them, and they do a little uh, fan dance like Sally Rand. <laughs> so that might be something, too. But uh, that's good eyes, John, and good seeing them. And, but it'd be a warbler, I'm sure. And uh, there's a number of them that are going through here. Uh, what I see yesterday in my yard, Tennessee, Nashville, American Red Start. I saw Magnolia. Uh, oh, gosh, I saw a few more than that. But uh, saw a lot of warblers right in the yard. I think I had 10 or 11 species. So we have quite a few of them going through. And, again, now with the cold weather and uh, if we get more rain, the insects are driven lower, so we see these guys. And the Tennessees and the Nashvilles here yesterday were in the shrubs and things real low, which you might see them anyway. But a lot of the birds were down at a level where I could really get a nice look at it. And and now if I get that scarlet tanager, man, that would be just it. And it's been here, and I can say I saw it. But I love seeing them in my yard, and they just uh, well, they brighten everybody's day. I often tell a story of a, a KMSU listener who called and said, I think I saw a scarlet tanager, but I'm not sure. And I said, well, what did you say when you saw it? She went, wow. <laughs> and I said, yep, that was a scarlet tanager you saw then, because it's, it's one of those birds that even folks that really don't notice birds very much, 
they will see that and they go, holy cow, like Halsey Hall for the twins did. Holy cow, that is an amazing bird right there. And and then they want to find out what it is. And But they're, they're black-winged red birds. And I guess if I had one wish that I could make come true is that everybody would have a scarlet tanager to show up today that they'd be able to watch and get good looks at. That would be a really cool thing. So I just love seeing them. Hey, Al, of course, wait, before you go, John has one more thing he wants to ask you. So I want to make sure we don't don't miss this. He says, this should be easy for Al. What is a whale's favorite meal? (laughs) Easy, he says. Easy. Something krill, krill on the grill, uh, grilled krill. Fish and chips. Oh, fish and chips. Oh, (laughs) man. John, that wasn't easy. He thought it was. Yeah, he did. He probably got it right away. But, you know, for us, the rest of us mere mortals, that's hard. I I would, you know, I'd have got it, but I'd had to work at it for a couple of days probably. But they, somebody asked, what what is, and somebody at uh, Good Earth Village, which was, you know, I spoke at the Good Earth Village. I got out of my car. It took me a half hour to walk from the parking lot to the lodge because there were so many birds and there were people coming out of their cars to go to the lodge to hear me talk who were forced to hear me talk in the parking lot because I'm pointing (laughs) out the birds. And I did the same thing at Detroit, Detroit Country Club outside of Detroit Lakes. It took me a half hour. There were so many warblers. It was a nice day. Yeah, that was Friday when I was there. And all the people are getting out of their cars, and I got my binoculars out. So they all come over to see what I'm looking at. And I think we saw 12 or 14 different species of warblers in just that walk. And it was the same thing. It took me a half hour. But somebody, when I finally did get into the lodge in at Good Earth Village, said, what is the range of the Baltimore Oriole? What kind of traveling do they do? And they breed into central Canada, and they're primarily in the eastern U.S., as far south as Louisiana. But I think they go into maybe Montana, westward. And they winter in southeastern U.S., Central America, and just the, the northern tip of South America. So they get um, they get some traveling time in, and I'm just so uh, happy that they always put our place on their their place to stop, and uh, they're uh, really cool to see. And I believe that Brian Smith and Sleepy Eye, the Bullock's Oriole, was still being seen. Uh, once upon a time, there was a Northern Oriole in all our books, and that's when they combined Bullock's and Baltimore. Now they have separated them again, so they're two separate species. And the one uh, Brian has, instead of the all-black head, it'll be more orange, much more orange on the head. So it's a, a pretty cool bird to see, and it's in uh, Brian's uh, Brian's yard, and it couldn't be in a, a better place than being in his yard. Uh, we have goslings. I know quite a few people are seeing baby geese. And I got a call from somebody said uh, there were seven baby geese. Now there's five. What what happens? What uh, what would take them? And uh, I don't know where the caller was from. It was a message. Uh, you know, depending on what part of the state you're in, 
Let's start with raccoons, foxes, bears, coyotes, ravens, crows, gulls, hawks, owls, snakes, mink, eagles, and snapping turtle could prey upon the goslings. Goslings or the goslings. I spoke to a naturalist at a a state park up north a couple years ago. And he told me that he'd kind of watched the goslings in the area there, and he said that he thought the number one predator there uh, were, were mink. He thought that was the thing that got the most of them. But I'm sure that would vary from from area to area, and depending on what part of the state and certainly what kind of habitat uh, they are in. So, uh, Also in uh, Good Earth Village, two questions. Somebody who was, wasn't coming to the lodge, there was a, a family with, let's say, five youngsters. And I, two of them had questions. One said, what bird sets on its eggs the longest? And the other one was, what bird builds the smallest nest? And I had to tell them that neither bird would they see at Good Earth Village, because they're not in this country, but the, the kiwi incubates its eggs the longest 70 to 80 days that's a long long time Mm -hmm. and what bird builds the smallest nest i'd have to guess at this but i think it would be the bee hummingbird and that's found in cuba and this little bird weighs about uh, uh, as much as a dime and its nest is an inch across so i i think that would be the the right answer for that i hope oh and you, somebody also asked how long it took to for an oriole to build a nest and it takes a baltimore oriole about a week and i know there's some knitters um, that are listening and just think about knitting your home you have to knit your house that's what they're doing they're knitting a home and the female will just knit that and if she doesn't like it she will she will start over, and she might look at the neighbors and say, oh, that is so good. I, why doesn't mine look like that? <laughs> so she might fly over and uh, swipe a couple pieces uh, that's in the neighbor's nest to put in hers so hers will look a little better. But about a week, takes them about a week to uh, weave that nest. But if they had bad weather and we do have bad weather, that may stretch nest building to as long as two weeks. Just think of that. She is just two weeks. That's incredible. And I've taken, I have a whole pile of photos I've taken of a female uh, weaving this nest, and it's really cool to watch. And she brings it in, and she just looks around, and she'll put it in one place and say, no, you know, that's just not going to work there. And then she'll put it in another place, and it, it's really cool. There's a, there's a lot of, I'm going to use the word thought, there's a lot of thought goes into how she builds this nest. And uh, just doing it with, she uses her feet a little bit, but primarily it's her bill. I do want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope you all will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always the Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. 
You know, my wife and I are fortunate to have been invited to a number of graduation parties for young people who will continue to edit their lives. We're uh, traveling all over, uh, I don't know how many different cities to for graduations, and just it, it's wonderful seeing all these kids, a good share of them we, we've known since they were really, really small, and to see them do so well. And I I want to make a toast to every graduate, uh, either peanut butter and honey or cinnamon and sugar, but that's impossible. Soon these grads will be off doing great things like giving dramatic readings of an owner's manual for 2015 Subaru or finding a cure for the cell phone itch, but they will be changing the world. We know that. Do I have any advice for a new graduate? Who doesn't? Read Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. If you don't know how to whistle, learn how. Learn to change a tire and ask an older relative what one day they would choose to live over again and then listen to the answer. Remember, Heartland, is while we're driving past, thanks again for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Thank you, Al. Hey, we'll chat with you next week. Happy bird watching until then. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, our good buddy Al Bat. And if you ever want to hear Al Bat, you missed the show or maybe entered the listening, the room uh, listening.